Welcome, everyone, to this week's edition of the Commercial Real Estate 101 Meetup Group. Uh, we're excited to see you all uh, this morning, evening, wherever you're tuning in from here in the United States or maybe even outside of the United States. We've been getting people tuning in from all across the world, so it's really cool to see the reach we've been getting. But uh, you know, today we have a phenomenal guest uh, who's going to be talking about cold storage, which is a topic we haven't really covered uh, on the podcast. And I know it's 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 been going gangbusters, and I'm sure it's been a continual trend upward. But since COVID, I, I, I feel like it's been just a very hot topic that people have been talking about in the commercial real estate space. So George Smith is going to be here to talk about us. He's located in sunny uh, Florida. Um, so I mean, I, I know the weather's starting to heat up here, but you know, I remember I'm half Puerto Rican myself, as we we talked about off offline. And, uh, you know, when I moved here from Puerto Rico, because I was there for a couple of years for a big project when I was doing uh, development and I came over here, it was night and day difference, man. The, the weather is just uh, completely different. So I'm sure you're, you're taking in the nice the nice weather down there. So, yeah, it's uh, sunny. All, it's year round. I mean, sunny. It, it'll rain yeah. for like five minutes and then sun comes back up. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure, man. Well, we're honored to have you really. Um, and, and we're excited to kind of learn about, you know, the, the cold storage uh, space. So first off, what we usually do when we interview people on these podcasts is we like to learn a little bit more about the person that's across the table from us. So if you don't mind kind of giving us a backstory, I think that'd be awesome. Uh, yeah. So uh, George Smith, I mean, I've been in this commercial industrial um, real estate for going to seven years now. I'm a father of three. Uh, happily married my wife Natasha she's uh she's my trooper there at home with the kids it's a lot of work man um so my oldest is six her name is Gianna I have my middle one she's Emmy she's four and then my little boy is George Jr and he's turning two uh this uh yeah April so next month and um yeah it's a lot of work for her and um I've been in the industrial Real estate. Um, so I'm I'm a partner of managed real estate advisors. I'm actually the the managing broker. My partners are on the private equity side. They focus mainly on cold storage um, nationwide. Um, they started here in Miami. Obviously, they're you know um, I actually Mike was actually originally from uh, Michigan, um, and uh, his father. Obviously, if you guys watch the Dolphins play and all that. His father played for the Dolphins, Jim Mandich, back uh, back in the day. Um, and uh, yeah, they started here in Miami, acquiring cold storage. I, I met them because I sold them their second property um, here in Miami Gardens. It was a 133,000 uh, square foot freezer, uh, multi-bay uh, warehouse. Then um, it was cool. It was kind of like a, the way we met, you know, I toured them. Um, at that time, I was an agent under a different boutique brokerage. And, you know, they, he approached me, he goes, hey, look, listen, I love the way you work, you know, super trustworthy, everything you say, you know, um, I feel comfortable with you. I don't feel too comfortable with your broker, though. Um, I have to kind of second guess everything he says. And when he told me that, I was like, oh, no, I'm in the wrong place. And, uh, you know, he approached me, he goes, hey, why don't you open up your own brokerage? We'll partner up and, you know. You know, we'll do that. So it was kind of uh, I took him at that and, and you know, it was uh, kind of like a perfect marriage, you know. Um, so they're, they're, they're killing it right now. They're at about two million square feet right now in a cold storage freezer product. They've grown super fast. I've been in the sidelines just watching them. You know, I, I invest in all of those all his deals pretty much as a LP. 
Um, but yeah, they're they're definitely killing it right now. But um, I, I manage as a, boot, a small team of us on the brokerage side. And so it's myself and two others. Um, and we're mainly focusing on industrial. Obviously, cold storage is kind of our, our niche. A lot of uh, private equity guys kind of reach out to me, um, you know, for advice and tips on like, you know, what to look for on, on specific deals they're looking at. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's great. It's been great so far. Can't complain. That's amazing, man. Yeah. And, and like you said, I mean, some of those relationships that, that form through, you know, just interacting with people that are doing different things, it's, it's kind of cool to hear how you transitioned away from your, that brokerage and then, you know, teamed up with some people that, you, you know, you, you, you got along with and similar to what, it, what we're doing as well down here locally in Louisville, I, I, my business partner, the one that I'm doing, you know, we're starting a small development company here. I mean, that, that was a chance encounter through a group that I was a part of. And, you know, we just kind of meshed well together and decided to, you know, take, take on, you know, an, an endeavor together. Yeah. And you I know. think that's what it was, you know, our, our visions aligned, you know, we're very similar in character and, and mm -hmm. we're very serious and kind of, you know, moving towards the same goal. He saw that I was hardworking. He was hardworking. We're both young and it's him and his two brothers. And man, it's just great, you know, because I'm actually the youngest of four brothers and just the way they all work together. It was just, it was awesome. And, you know, to be part of the team and, you know, that's awesome. great together. Yeah. That's awesome, man. So, so when, when people hear cold storage, a lot of times they don't really understand what that means. So can you kind of explain what cold storage is and maybe the different types of cold storage? I think that would be helpful. Yeah, so uh, cold storage is primarily uh, uh, on the industrial side. It's just, you know, you have two different types of cold storage. You have uh, the refrigerated side, which is temperatures from 30 to 40 degrees, which is where you store your, you know, your, your produce, your perishables, that kind of stuff. And then you have your freezer product, which is obviously from 10 degrees all the way to minus 20, you know, probably sometimes even colder than that. Um, and those are the two different types of cold storages. Um, and they're just primarily industrial properties um, that that store food and perishable products. Okay, so anything you know, everybody has to eat, and everybody has a freezer and fridge in their in their homes. So um, you know that that food has to come from somewhere, and that's kind of where they're stored. Um, just a quick fun fact on that: um, there's there's about six point four billion square feet of kind of dry industrial in the top 20 markets right there's 1.3 percent of that is cold storage so out of 6.4 billion square feet 1.3 percent of that is cold so there's a very small niche market for cold storage um, so another fun fact for every um each consumer each u.s consumer there's 1.1 square feet for each of cold storage Per U.S. consumer, there's 69 square feet of dry uh, per U.S. consumer. Just to have an idea of what what cold storage is and how big that market is, um, you know, I think that that's pretty gives you a broad idea of, of how limited that that product actually is. Yeah, and and I think that you know through and and I'm sure COVID exacerbated this, but you know, with people realizing, okay, like I'd want my you know, groceries delivered and, and, you know, grocery stores through COVID did extremely well. I mean, they were, they were performing at a very high level and mm -hmm. people's demand for wanting things immediately, even though it may not be in season or whatever else, like that's necessitated a demand for cold storage to be able to facilitate that, those, those types of, of, of transitional, you know, right. you know, points. So, right. you know, I think that, 
you know, obviously COVID, it was already a growing trend as far as people's demand uh, tastes were concerned, but I think COVID has really pushed it uh, in overdrive. And I don't know if that's what you've seen on your end, uh, but just from the things that I've been reading, that just yeah, seems so, to be the case. Yeah, I think, yeah, COVID definitely made it popular. I mean, mm -hmm. cold storage was something, I guess, you know, four or five years ago was people, you know, a lot of these institutional players didn't really want to get involved with it just because of the mechanics of it. You know, it was too uh, technical for them. They preferred big box, dry, you know, cookie cutters kind of stuff. It's funny because uh, the managers actually started getting into it way before any of these guys were even considering it. And they saw they saw an opportunity, you know, and they went for it. Obviously, COVID hit. There was, you know, all the restaurants kind of closed down for a period. But that kind of boomed up the the uh, distribution on the on the supermarkets. So it was kind of, you know, everyone needed to eat. And the trend that I'm seeing now and, and I've been seeing is obviously the Amazon, you know, direct to consumer uh, trends where everybody wants the food right away in their doorstep, you know. So obviously that obviously is pushing more of these facilities closer to the higher populated areas in, in, in core markets. So, you know, that's that's kind of the trend that you that you see now. Um, but yeah, I mean, cold storage is booming right now. It's trending. People say it's multifamily up in the top of the food chain because it's the safest asset class and then you have cold storage right under it um so that's kind of where it's at as far as um uh, appeal that's awesome yeah no no that's great great insights for sure so for those who are listening to the podcast i mean we have a variety of different professionals that listen to the podcast but we also have business owners that that, that can that listen to the podcast and one of the things that i like to to ask you is what are some of the considerations that business owners need to make before they you know, purchase a facility for their, for cold storage? Oh man, that's a, that's a very broad question there, Rob. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I mean, are you referring to the end user? You said investor? Yeah. Investors primarily. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's go from the investor standpoint. So let's say I'm, I'm someone who is intrigued by cold storage and I'm looking yeah. into a market and trying to get a, a feel for what exactly you know, I need to consider as I'm looking at some of these facilities, because, you know, if you're looking at a large big box warehouse, there's maybe not as many moving components as you would see in like a cold storage environment. So if you can kind of share some insights, I think that'd be helpful. Yeah. I mean, as an investor, there's different things you got to look at. One is definitely the market. Who are you? Are you in a tertiary market? Are you in a core market? Um, you know, how close are you to population? What is the population market you're in? Um, you know, so there's, there's different factors you got to look at there. And what kind of investor are you? Obviously, are you a core investor? Are you opportunistic or anywhere in between that? Um, you know, obviously, then going into the facility, what is typically when you look at a facility, what kind of refrigerate refrigeration systems does it have? Typically, anything that's 100,000 square feet usually is ammonia system. Anything under that, I would say maybe like 50,000 or under, you're looking at Freon systems. Um, the difference between the two is the type of refrigerant. So ammonia typically is for larger properties. They last a lot longer. They'll last your lifetime, um, larger properties like that. On the Freon, they're cheaper to maintain, meaning that the mechanic that's kind of doing the maintenance on these is can pretty be pretty much be someone that does your repairs on your AC. Um, they, they typically are, are you know skilled for that. And they'll probably have maybe half of the lifetime of an ammonia system. Um, but again, they're, they're, they're also capable of doing freezer temperatures as well. 
Um, that's those are things to look at. Other things are, you know, panels um, and obviously height. Height is important because it gives you the cube space for storing this product. Um, a lot of uh, investors are looking now to kind of retrofit kind of existing industrial back into to put it into cold storage. A lot of them are thinking this is easy. It's not easy. Um, you can probably get a way to convert it into a refrigerated space because you don't need to modify the floors. And that's pretty much your largest expense is the floors. Um, so, so that's kind of a lot of what, what a lot of investors are kind of looking at that don't are not experts in the space. Because if they go into buying a, a cold storage warehouse, the way the market is now, you're having a lot of these cold uh, investment funds or private equity groups that are experienced, kind of like the managed brothers, that will probably snatch it up before they would, just because then the seller's going to ask, who are you? Are you are you experienced with this kind of stuff? You know, so so the bidding process kind of will variate, and I'm dealing with that now. Um, thankfully, my buyers are, are experienced. So um, even though the other investors are putting up more money, they just don't have the experience and usually they fall out, you know, so uh, I've been dealing with that. Um, so yeah, definitely location, height, and obviously condition of the refrigeration system. Are they being maintained or is there a current, you know, uh, mechanic that's on there kind of doing the routine maintenance and all that um, on these, on these systems. So that those are important factors to consider. For sure. And I can imagine some of these systems can be, I would imagine if it's large enough, probably millions of dollars to be able to, you know, Im yeah, implement yeah. some of these systems. So yeah, that's yeah. pretty significant. And and another thing I was kind of curious about is, is, is there, are there things when you're looking at a property, for example, you mentioned there's two types of cold storage, right? There's the produce and maybe, you know, flowers or whatever in, in right. the, in the 30 to 40 range versus those that are, you know, a little bit uh, below freezing temperatures. Is there a way to kind of determine what the, you know, demand could potentially be uh, for an area based on, you know, any other types of demographics or, you know, what, I guess, what are some of the narrow focused items that you're looking at, like restaurants in the vicinity or, you know, what, what exactly was that, would that look like? Um, I, I, I mainly, so, so a good factor for that is going to be um, population growth, mm. really. Um, yeah. I mean, all around, I guess the nation is, there's been a huge population growth and we've had a lot of uh, migration coming this way. I mean, Florida, especially, I think, I think the number was like a thousand per day. Not, I mean, what it was like a few months ago, mm -hmm. or maybe a year ago. I don't know, but it was a lot of people just migrating over here. And, and I can, I can, I'm, I'm in Miami. So I, I can see the difference in the expressways. The traffic has been, you know, crazy over here. So those are big drivers. Um, obviously right now, just on the dry side, vacancy in Miami is at less than 3% right now. So you can imagine cold. I mean, they actually built the first spec freezer space here in Miami, uh, bridge. And it's, it, it, it was leased. It got leased already. Um, so you've never seen anyone building spec on the freezer, you know, maybe, maybe refrigerated, but not freezer. Um, cause it's very expensive and they executed a lease at, at $20 and 50 cents triple net. So can you imagine that? That's crazy. Yeah. And what was the size? What was the size of the facility? 300,000 square feet. That's crazy, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, I'm sure. And, and I'm sure the tenant can justify it. I'm, I'm sure they wouldn't pay that rent if they, if they couldn't, you know, support it with whatever they were generating in revenue, but it's just amazing yeah. to see some of those numbers. And it's always interesting to talk to people across the nation because, you know, $20 a square foot for that type of space is unheard of in, in my market, but I'm sure maybe in an LA or Miami or something else that, that could be, 
you know, much more reasonable. And so yeah. it's, it's very interesting to hear you say that. So one thing I wanted to ask you, and, and, and again, this is similar to what you talked about briefly uh, in, in the previous question I asked was re- pertaining to redevelopment. So, you know, there, there are some opportunistic investors that are like, okay, you know, I have this, there's this warehouse here, you know, I, it looks like, you know, it has, you know, decently tall ceilings and everything else. And, you know, maybe there's, there's newer product down the line in, in the area that, that, that I may try to be compete against when I'm dealing with this older warehouse, but maybe there's an opportunity for me to come in and redevelop it to be a cold storage facility. What are some of the hurdles that I guess that you you would, you would, uh, you would initially face with that opportunity? Well, one right now you have to one, make sure that the building is suitable for it. Um, you know, and I think to convert into a freezer warehouse, I just don't think the numbers are there. I don't think it makes sense. I think you're better off kind of going ground up. Um, as far as, you know, maybe maybe turning into a refrigerated space instead of freezer because of the cost of the floors, um, you would have to make sure at least that your your, your height is there, you know, at, at least kind of be 22 foot clear just to put a box within a box. Um, and then you got to factor in the cost of these panels. Right now, panel are off the roof. I mean, everything's expensive right now, but the panels I've heard are, are have gone up um, dramatically. Um, I don't have the exact numbers, but they're expensive. Um, and then, um, yeah. And then obviously your power, you got to have heavy power. So, um, so that's another factor you got to c- consider there, put, put, putting in the juice. Yeah. And, and you mentioned floors. I, I guess, what do you mean by that? Is that because the freezers are extremely heavy and, and they, you know, crack general flooring? Yeah, or what so exactly? typically, typically what happens is the, since the, the, the temperatures, um, if it's normal concrete, the floors will crack if they're not vented. So in Florida, typically uh, freezer spaces, if they're not, if they don't have glycol, meaning a layer of glycol, which kind of keeps the floors, um, you know, kind of in a heated, in a, in a heated temperatures, they have what, what are called vented floors, meaning that there's ventilation going through the bottom so it doesn't heat, just because the temperatures of Florida are typically hotter than those up north. So, um, you know, those are those are the two kind of reasons why you, the floors are expensive. If you want to put glycol into a floor, uh, it's kind of adding layers on top of that, and, and it gets very, very expensive, very expensive. I can only imagine. Yeah, no. And then that's an interesting insight you said you like to hear you say that, because, again, I, I've never really experienced. And again, I'm, I have no experience in cold storage. So it's kind of here, interesting to hear your take on on mm-hmm. some of the things that you need to consider. Uh, another thing that I wanted to ask you, and, and, and I don't know if this is applicable to what you're currently doing, but, you know, I've had a lot of people come contacting me outside of, you know, our local market that are looking to do crypto mining and they want to find a, like a a building that they can, you know, ventilate extremely well because some of these systems churn out a ton of heat and they, they don't necessarily need a m- massive footprint, but they want, you know, ridiculous power and they need heavy ventilation and everything else. Have you seen any, you know, I guess, and <clears throat> people contacting you guys regarding, you know, utilizing, you know, maybe not the scale of which we're talking about earlier, a couple hundred thousand square feet, but utilizing, you know, the, these, these facilities in order to mine for cryptocurrency. That's a good one. Um, I, I've seen it once, once, and it was uh, in a small bay freezer that we had in Doral. Um, but I've never seen it again. I've never seen that. Re- uh, I'm lying. Maybe there was one more other. There was another one. Um, but yeah, I, I guess the bros didn't feel comfortable with that use. I know it was kind of weird. 
I felt like it was clean and and you know instead of having some fish or meat guys kind of all messy out there I think that was kind of like you know a cleaner use for a thousand square feet of freezer space uh, but yeah I did have that re re request once or twice in the past um I haven't seen it again um Sure. It's a, it's a very niche type of thing. Cause I, like I said, they were like, Oh, we need like a thousand square feet, but it needs to have like ridiculous power and it needs to have this heavy ventilation. And typically they're able to pay a lot more per square foot yeah. because they're, you know, right. they're, they're I almost feel that that's, I almost feel that's better. Like somewhere in the, in the Midwest up there where it's mm -hmm. colder. Sure. And, you know, everything's cheaper. Land is cheap. I think that's better for like mining out there. Well, and it's, it's, it's electric, it's electricity costs is really the biggest right. thing because once exactly. you, it's like per megawatt or per, per kilowatt, I guess it, they have, yeah. they have like a certain range where they can shoot for. And if they're outside of that range, it makes it not very profitable in order to do it. So, you know, so I'm sure I, probably power is probably cheaper over there. I'm sure it is oh. typically. And again, for, for, and I don't know what it is in other markets, so I'm not going to speak to that, but you know, in our market, it's relatively cheap compared to comparative to other markets outside of, you know, where we're currently located. So, yeah. Um, I have some questions here. I'm, I'm looking at on the chat. Oh um, yeah. No. Yeah. And, and, and I was regarding the credit of the tenant base in the sub 250 tenant base. I mean, anything, anything over a hundred thousand square feet in that space, I think is going to be a, a good credit tenant. Um, just because typically anyone that's messing around the cold space, they need a, a variance. And a majority of these players are, are three PLs, third-party logistics companies that, that distribute for like the Coca-Cola's of the world and, and these larger companies, they do all the distribution for them. And um, so they'll, they'll have some freezer space, um and they'll have some refrigerated space and dry space so they'll they'll kind of spread it out to have all three um and being able to capitalize on all, all three um sure. hopefully that answers your question so it is definitely a good tenant base yeah um, and and, I, and and what i was going to say real quick is that we we, we have a q a at the end so okay. what i'll go ahead and right. do sorry sorry uh, no 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 problem at all no and, and that and it's super helpful we want to make sure that we have enough time at the end to be able to answer yeah. as many questions as possible i just have a few more questions and then we're we're opening it up to Q and A because we always get a ton of Q and A. So I think I think you're going to have plenty to uh, plenty right. of insights to share. So um, one thing that you know I was curious about, and I'm sure a lot of people in the audience are curious about as well, is the evolution of cold storage over the next five to ten years. So if you can kind of talk a little bit about you know what you where you think the the market's going uh, over the next several years, man. Um... It's crazy because obviously population growth is growing and the way that we consume is changing. So Amazon obviously has drifted a lot of that and caused a lot of change in that, in that, in the way that we consume our foods now. And we order instead of going to the supermarket, you just kind of order through an app who gets mm -hmm. to your, to your home. So the speed, obviously everyone's kind of being more into eating healthier. So they want to eat more organic and healthier foods. So obviously that food doesn't last as long. So you need cooler temperatures to kind of keep its uh, natural state so that it can be delivered to your home. So all these things are, are different components. That, that's, where, that's where everything's headed. Um, so I'm seeing a lot of the, I guess the uh, logistics of it changing in a way where um, there has to be distribution hubs closer to higher populated areas. So the delivery time or direct to consumer uh, part of it is, is quicker. So um, I see, I mean, at least for South Florida, Miami, 
there's no land out here anymore. I mean, we're just kind of in this, we're stuck from like, you know, you, you have, you know, uh, the bay over here, then you're stuck with the Everglades. So we're narrow. And there's already been talks about going vertical on the industrial side, just because there's no land out here. Um, so that that's interesting there. I see that changing over here in South Florida. Land prices here, an acre is already at $3 million an acre. Um, which is insane, insane. Nuts, yeah, and, and, and interesting to hear you say that regarding the the stacking of of, of properties, in particular industrial real estate. We have a gentleman that that we interviewed a while back. His name's Chad Griffith. He's an industrial broker in Edmonton, uh, Canada, and he was talking about that being a growing trend in some of these larger metro areas. Is that you know they don't have the land to be able to build, so they'll essentially start stacking you know, these buildings, I mean, these, these spaces on top of each other and the amount of engineering that goes into it is pretty impressive. Cause I mean, you think about it, like you have products that are stacked at that height yeah. and God knows what products they are. It could be a variety of different products. And so, you know, the, obviously the, the weight, structural integrity, right? yeah, the weight and, and the distribution of that weight, because I imagine like, you know, I, I don't know how that it, it's, it's laid out in, 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 in a normal facility, but you may have heavier, heavier items on one section of the building and then maybe have lighter items on the other section of the building. And that obviously that distribution of weight makes a difference as far as the forces on yeah. the building itself. And so, you know, they, they are pretty much going to be engineering marvels and, I mean, I'd be interested to be in one of those rooms when you're trying to make that decision. It's like, oh, maybe, maybe we just start stacking these things on top of each other. So yeah, for sure. It's pretty interesting. So Great. one last question, and then we're going to open it up to Q and A. I yeah. want to make sure that we have plenty of time for you guys to ask, ask as many questions as you want. As if you guys are watching this on LinkedIn as well, we'll be checking the LinkedIn feed. Um, but uh, what are some of the best resources that you recommend to people to learn more about cold storage as an industry? Um, there's a, there's a few. Um uh groups you can look up like the global Ch uh, cold chain alliance the gcca um, that's a good one another one is uh, uh international association for cold storage construction uh the iasc iacsc um where, where the, michael and, and the brothers are a member of that as well and they have yearly conferences but they have a lot of good information online uh, you can kind of look that up uh, i'll see if i can put that on the chat um, they have really good information and trends and stuff on the cold storage side that, that you can kind of keep keep track of. That's awesome. Yeah, and for those of you guys who are watching this, we'll be we'll be including them in the show notes below. So if you guys are watching this on YouTube or you know on on any type of podcast format, it's going to be in the description below as well. So yeah. All right. So let's dive into the questions. We got plenty of them right now. So. Let's do it. Um, so Nick asks, so, hey, Nick, he's asked, it, understanding it varies by market for price of land, what are you seeing for all in cost price per square foot for development of a new construction ammonia refrigerant building? Hmm. <clears throat> That's a good question. Um, I haven't been too heavily involved on the construction side, but just hearing over the top of, of we just built a building in Holland, Michigan, um, and I construction cost there is over about $200 a square foot. I think they're in the, yeah. And that includes, that includes the refrigerator and everything as well, or is that just, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. I think they're up to like maybe two, 200, 220 something a square foot, including refrigeration and all that. So that's kind of where you're at. That's crazy. So hundred, hundred thousand square foot. Yeah, facilities, 22 million. Yeah. Right. That's 22 million right there, not including the land. So if it's a hundred thousand square foot facility, that's yeah. amazing. 
yeah, yeah. All right. So he asked, uh, so Eric asked, so, Hey, Eric, he said, what is the expense ratio in cold storage? Um, so, so you, I think that's maybe you're referring to utilities, utility cost. Um, so on the refrigerated side, it's typically, at least here in Miami, I, I guess it varies. Cost of power varies obviously in different States and, and, and counties and whatnot, but um for for miami what i've seen in the miami cold storage building and in other buildings in south florida it's about six dollars a square foot actually let me change that i think it's about two dollars a square foot on just the refrigerator i was adding in their taxes and insurance but just narrowing into the refrigeration side you're about two dollars a square foot on uh, utility costs for refrigerate refrigeration uh temps on the freezer side you're kind of double that or maybe a little less so maybe 375 to four on the freezer so that's a good kind of rule of thumb there at least in south florida yeah that's good good advice all right so paula asked so hey paula she asked what about a company that works from home but needs a storage area to hold tools and trucks are these storages hard to find so that's dry storage primarily. Yeah, dry storage. What about coming out worse from home? Uh, to hold tools. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, it's typically dry. I, I, I guess you're asking. Um, I'm not sure I understand the question, but it needs storage. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think it. I think it's just more so about the availability of dry storage for you know these types of, of uses, and you know, again, I'm sure it's pretty active in your market as well. I mean. Yeah, so smaller. vacancy, yeah, yeah, vacancy in Miami right now, like I said earlier, was it was a three percent. I think maybe even less, a little less than three percent right now. Um, and and the rates have climbed crazy. I mean, I don't know what you're seeing in in, in Louisville, but there's leases being executed where now they're just proposing five percent bumps yearly. Mm -hmm. um, have you been seeing the same? Yeah, no, exactly. I just went to a, a, a chamber of commerce uh, dinner. Uh, for a uh, Jefferson Town, which is a submarket within Louisville here, and it, within Jefferson Town is the largest industrial park in the in the the, the state. Um, and they were going through statistics about you know what the vacancy rate was within the park, and I think it was the the the, the total occupancy rate was ninety eight point four percent. So there's one point eight six percent vacancy within mm -hmm. that park. Obviously, if there's other there's other ones around the city that may have different different. Uh, you know, vacancy rates, but yeah, it's, it's, it's sub 3% in, in yeah, our market. It's crazy. So, so it's it, nuts. So yeah. Even, and, and, and for small Bay, it's even like less, I think. Yeah. So no, rates, I think rates here for small Bay industrial, like mm -hmm. right now climbing uh, above $20. So they're like at 20 something dollars a square foot for like 2000 square feet, mm -hmm. two to 4,000, two, yeah, two to 3000 square feet. You're looking at 20 something dollars a square foot. So yeah, that, I mean, if you find that's triple, it, that's triple net too. So that's not, you know, that's just straight. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that's crazy. crazy. That's nuts, man. Yeah. We don't get, we don't get nearly that. I mean, we're, we're a lot, we're probably half that, if not a little bit less than that, depending on, you know, if it's new build or whatever. So yeah. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. All right. So Will asks, uh, are any markets oversupplied with cold storage? Trying to understand where the largest supply constraints may be. Okay. I'm sorry. Uh, are many markets oversupplied with cold storage? Um, there are markets actually a little oversupplied and, and I wouldn't call it oversupplied. They just have more, I guess, more inventory than, than 
than the other markets. And, and one of those, I believe, is Houston. Houston's a little bit oversupplied. Um, I, I couldn't think of the other one, but that's an oversupplied market. Um, so, but I think that, that that's that's being absorbed. I think their vacancy in that market is like 7% or 8%. Um, but yeah, that, that's already probably being absorbed. That's awesome. Yeah. And there, there's, um, I'm, I'm, I've done the CCIM coursework and, and, uh, one of our professors with CCIM, his name is Mark Seifert. Um, and he has done work with, uh, this gentleman that's a professor at some, I can't remember the university. I'll include in the show notes once I, once I do a little bit of research on it, but he actually follows different property types across major markets and provides like insights re regarding their oversupply or undersupply. So it's kind of interesting. His name is M M Miller or like okay. Robert Miller, I believe his name is. He's a, he's a professor at a university, I believe in Seattle, but I'll, I'll include that in the show notes as well. So yeah, that's interesting. Uh, it, it's, it's cool. I, I watched it. I looked at it the other day and you know, this gentleman, Mark Seifert, who's my CCIM professor, he utilizes some of that data in order to in, in, inform his decision-making process when he does make these investments. And mm -hmm. he bought in the Houston market in particular, in a particular sub market within Houston, because mm -hmm. of any of dies office buildings. And he, and he saw because it was an undersupply or there was a, a recovery, it was in the recovery phase. And right, so he thought right. this is a good, a good opportunity to purchase. So. Yeah. Yeah. So when, yeah, when you see things like that, it's, it's, you know, there's a little bit more vacancy or whatnot than that there's an opportunity there because it's, mm -hmm. you know, the market is would absorb it for sure. Definitely. Awesome. Yeah. So I, I don't want to uh, mistake your name. I think it's couch tube. I'm sorry if I butchered that. Um, so they ask, uh, with the focus of on fresh, uh, so with the focus on fresh food consumption and direct to farm, direct and direct farm to kitchen supply chain, do you think cold storage will continue to see a growing demand, specifically on the refrigeration side? That's a good question. Um, I think the I, I think what's changing is more of the the type, the way we're consuming, which is direct to consumer, I think that's changing. So I think there is going to be growth because it's, it's, there's, and I, I, I've had this conversation with someone before. I was like, man, I think we're going to, they're going to start building uh, refrigerators different. We're going to have bigger freezers, you know, because uh, I don't know if, do you, do you even have like a second fridge in your home? Typically a lot of people do. Like yeah. they have the second fridge just to store more food or whatever. Well, if they hunt too, like a, a lot of my friends hunt and they have like these massive freezers in their, uh, their, yeah. their garage where they just, you know, they, they store elk or whatever they hunt, you know? Right. In there. Yeah. So, so that's been a kind of a trend where a lot of people, you know, because of what, co what happened with COVID and, and, you know, people are just freaking out of, you know, anything that happens, you know, with the economy or some type of, you know, virus would overtake again, something like that. People are are more cautious of that, so they're they, they're having these fridges or or more freezers in their home to store more food in case uh, something you know traumatic happens like that again. Um, so I've been seeing that. I think there is going to be a growing demand. I mean, there's just so much. There's there's a strong market right now, and there's there's no product out there right now. So that's definitely has to grow. Uh, if if I had to put a year to that or or a trend, I would say you know, this is going to be growing probably, I would say just to be conservative five years, you know, over the next five years, I guess it's still going to be growing. Yeah. Strong. I can imagine. Great, great response. So uh, Eric asks, who is, who is a typical cold, who is a typical cold storage customer? 
is there retail a retail customer or just institutional customers? Um, so so the the typical cold storage customer is your third party logistics customer, your three PL who does all the handling for the larger manufacturers. Typically, they outsource the stuff like Coke man, uh, outsources it to these three PL companies, and they have all these distribution hubs within these core markets and. They do the picking. Picking is pretty much picking up the product and kind of, um, you know, uh, sourcing it out and then packaging it all up and then storing it, um, you know, for specific orders um, to the retailers uh, nearby. So um, that's the typical cold storage uh, customer, I would say, on the industrial side. I, I think that answers your question. Who's the yeah, no. And I, th I think you're, you're, like you said, so is the space shared or is it typically single tenant? So it, it's typically a single tenant. So that these three PLs are typically have a list of different customers. Um, you can have from small customers to larger customers. Um, you know, usually uh, I think 20% is, is always uh, absorbed by your large customer. And then the rest is kind of small customers, you know, um, so it's, it's, it's a number of customers into that space, uh, but the 3PL is the main tenant. And then uh, just, just out of curiosity. So with, with these facilities, if they're servicing a lot of restaurants locally, do, do the restaurants contract with those 3PLs or is it more just down the line? So the customer of the customer, I guess, is that usually how it works? Um, that's a good question. Uh, sometimes they're restaurants, depending how big the restaurants are, they have multiple chains. They, they would contract. Um, you know, the different, um, you know, um, they would contract the 3PL to, to, to service all their products, but um, yeah, not, you know, and, and then sometimes they do contract a, a bigger distributor to, you know, if it's a small restaurant, just a single restaurant, they usually just deal with a larger distributor to kind of you know, get their products from. Sure. So, yeah, it's both. That makes sense. Great question. All right. Just any any other questions? Uh, I'm looking on LinkedIn Live as well. So if you guys, for those of you guys who are looking at uh, on LinkedIn Live, feel free to type away in the chat box if you guys have any questions in particular. How many people do we have on LinkedIn Live? About five or six right now. So, but yeah, they 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 hop on and off and stuff too. So um, we've been getting a lot on 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 Zoom. Oh yeah, I know for sure. No, so I, one question I had is, is there anything yeah. in particular that you see as a trend that you're kind of excited about and you're kind of, you know, following along pretty closely as it pertains to close cold storage? Man, it's crazy. So I've made a shift uh, not too long ago where I've noticed that the end user is no longer paying the top dollar anymore. Um, it's, 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 the, it's the investor. The investor is the one paying top dollar. So I've focused a lot of my time on these investment deals lately. Um, so I'm excited about that because I, for me, it's just easier to deal with an investor than it is an end user. I don't know about you. Uh, I kind of feel like it's just kind of more cookie cutter. Just I know what they want. This is, you know, break up the deal a little easier, but it's kind of scary at the same time. Cause I'm like, man, we're, we're what it's always been like, Hey, the end user will pay you more money for that mm -hmm. property than the investor will. And now that script has changed. And that for me is kind of scary because it's kind of like, there's a lot of money in the streets right now. There's a lot of capital injected into the economy where 
these these funds have to deploy that capital. So yeah, uh, yeah. that's kind of what I'm excited, but I'm kind of nervous at the same time. So uh, I guess I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah, man. No, I know. And I think it's happening all across different property types. I mean, you're seeing it heavily in multifamily. I mean, it's crazy the amount of outside capital we're getting in our market. I mean, our, our, our market's pretty investor friendly. You know, landlord laws yeah. are pretty friendly and obviously cash flow is, is pretty, pretty solid in the middle of the country in general. And so we're seeing a lot of money coming in to our market and it's just, they're just outbidding everyone. It's like, okay, I would never pay what you're willing to pay, but it's like for them, it's like, okay, well, we got these cap, we got capital, we got to deploy. If this capital isn't deployed, then yeah. we can't, you know, achieve whatever metrics we're yeah, trying I to think achieve. I think they're betting on the, um, the, um, the increase, man. I mean, mm -hmm. The rent increase, everything has just been inflated. Inflation. I think they're betting on inflation because what was it 12 months ago? A year ago? Was it 12% increase or more? Well, 7.9 on the CPI, but that's CPI. probably that's probably, you know, under Can you go based on CPI. I don't know, but no, you can't. Even, yeah. Yeah. Right. So I've heard 12. So it's crazy. And and you're probably right. Like the CPI is just an under undershot. Like really yeah. in reality, it's, it's higher than 7.9. I think we all agree that it's probably closer to 10, if not more. So um, I think there's no question about that. Um, I literally have to change prices on my listings for a lease. Like I've been changing them. Um, man, it's been like every two months, three months where, where for 30,000 square feet, I'm asking, of dry, right? We're talking mm -hmm. dry. 30,000 square feet. I'm at 15 bucks a square foot. That's a lot of money, man. That is, that those is. Are big, those are big numbers. Yeah. For us, like, you know, at the 30,000 square foot facility, if it's a nice facility, it'll probably get you eight bucks a square foot here. You well, know, this is, I'm talking class C, you know. Obviously oh, class C. Yeah. Market. That's nuts. That's crazy. Class C. Yeah. 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 20, maybe 18, 20 foot clear. That's nuts, man. <laughs> that's like way more than what we're getting here for sure. Um, and that's, that's cool. I mean, like I said, it's, it's interesting to hear your take on it, just being in a different part of the country and, and what, what's yeah. nor the norm over there versus what's the norm over here. Uh, so, yeah. you know, we had one other question Eric was going to ask is that as an industry, is there, a, what's the default rate for the industry? That's a pretty good question. Uh, man, the default rate. I don't, I, I don't know how to answer that one. Um, I haven't seen, um, just kind of thinking on the landlord side on their tenants defaulting. I haven't really seen much, honestly, there hasn't been much of a default rate going back when COVID was peaking on the small base stuff. There was no defaults thinking maybe one late payer. Remember other than that, no default rates. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Sinto had a question. Did you want to type it away in the chat box? Sinto? Um, and then I, we had another follow-up question real quick. Um, so do you see Blackstones and pension funds of the world entering this asset class to disrupt local and micro investors? I mean, yeah, they, they've, they've been getting into the space. I think they acquired, um, what was it like over 8 million square feet not too long ago, Blackstone. But again, I mean, they're, 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 they're buying out kind of, um, you know, fully leased uh, product and stuff like that. I mean, there's not much of it. Like I said, it was kind of 1% out of the, what's dry out there mm -hmm. is, is cold. So there's really not much. And yeah, they've been getting into the space. 
uh, lately, um, strongly. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's disrupting any of the local guys. Um, you know, it's it's you have a lot of these private equity groups right now that are that are being formed. A lot of them formed lately and and going after the cold stuff, um, and they're they're learning quick on the fly. And yeah, they're they're being pretty aggressive, and and there's a lot of money on their side, and and they're you know they're performing so definitely. So Sinto asks, uh, what are the insurance and liability expenses uh, like on a typical typical cold storage investment annually? Man, that's a good question. Um, I don't get too involved on on the cold uh, on the insurance side. Just recalling back on the Miami cold building. Um, uh, I know that the insurance on that was maybe a little high, but I think it was mainly because of the roof um, and, and the ammonia equipment um, was, I think, brought it up a little bit as well. I think the age of the equipment, um, but I don't know if there's a lot of expense on it. Again, it could be, I guess it really depends on the age of the asset, um, you know, mm. and the conditions of the, of the equipment that, that can cause those rates to go up. So, yeah. Yeah. And, I, and, and, and I, we actually, we had a gentleman uh, join us, uh, I believe it was two, two meetings ago. It was a commercial insurance agent. And he kind of talked about, you know, the different things that they look for when they're, when they're assessing the risk of a particular property. And then that's obviously going to impact the premiums you pay at the end of the day. Yeah. And the big, the big capital expenditures, you know, the roofs, the electrical system, you know, if, if, if it's, you know, a high risk use, if it's like, you know, he was describing something like a fireworks facility, they're obviously going to have much higher insurance than yeah, a, but, but yeah, to that point, just in case I, so, so I don't forget. So there usually these freezer facilities have backup power and it happened once there was a hurricane down here and shut off the power for like a few days. Typically uh, FPL down here, we want to put that power back on as quick as possible, just because it's a you know, it's, it's, it's consuming a lot of power. So um, typically they would want to put that on as soon as possible. But I think having that backup generator there definitely um, alleviates some of that insurance liability um, and making sure that, that it's ready to be plugged if should the power go out because it, it will ruin all that product. Obviously, it, I think it takes about for a freezer, if it's, if it's kind of sealed correctly and, and, and the, oh, the doors are not opening, as often, it can last for about four to five days with the same, you know, kind of the temp will probably reduce little by little, but it'll, it'll, it should, if it's sealed correctly, uh, hold the temperatures for the, for about four days, four or five days. Yeah. And then, then obviously that's, that's very important because the product that if you lose all that product and it could be pretty yeah, catastrophic, a lot of expensive, uh, for sure. Awesome. Yeah. So Paula, you know, she followed up and asked, so do people buy these storage areas and then rent them out? So do, how often do you see spec like purchases of these types of, of these investments? So there's no spec development on the cold side. The first one who was ballsy enough was bridge in Miami. Um, and they did it, you know, he, he definitely uh, made it happen. Everyone's kind of like freaking out, kind of on the sidelines, seeing what happens and, uh, they made it happen, you know, uh, they got a good tenant there. I think it was a 20 year lease. Um, so, so that doesn't happen. No one really builds on spec. Usually they build, if they have a requirement from a, like a third party logistics, say, Hey, we need to be here. Can you build the facility? And, and then th that's typically how they do it. 
but no one's really building on spec. Um, I was actually considering building on spec on a smaller space, you know, um, you know, I'm kind of in the talks of, with some uh, developer to kind of do that, but you know, who knows? Cause there is a demand for it. Sure. Yeah. And, and I can imagine, like you said, it, it's, it's a much more expensive, uh, you know, outlay of capital than, you know, just a regular warehouse. So, you know, it's one of those yeah. things where you got to make sure that, you know, there's enough to yeah, the rate would justify, you got to make sure rates are going to justify, you know, the, 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 the out, you know, the cost of, of building it. So. Sure. Awesome. So do we have any more questions? I want to make sure that we're not missing anything. Awesome. Does it run into six figures? Uh, I guess that was a question regarding. Yeah, it was the insurance return. cost, but it's but it's so specific. So it was kind of. Yeah, yeah. So these six figures, I mean, um, yeah, it does. Usually depending on the size of the building for Miami, it did. Uh, it was 130,000 square foot building. But yeah, insurance was six figures. I, I do remember that. It's a big number. For sure. Yeah. Well, cool. It looks like we've answered all the questions again, George, we greatly appreciate your time. I mean, really, I, I learned a ton. I, I don't, I've yeah. not really delved into any type of so, to, uh, cold storage. So, yeah. you know, having this, you know, almost hour to talk about it has been really enlightening and I'm sure it's been enlightening for everyone who's been listening as well. So if people want to learn, to oh yeah, for sure, man. And we, we greatly appreciate your time, but if, if people want to learn more about you, if they want to get in contact with you and, you know, maybe they're in the market in, in Miami and they want to touch base, how can they do that? Um, I'm going to put my email there on the, uh, on the chat mm -hmm. here, I'll put my email there and then you can just email me if you want. I'm going to also put in the, uh, if you want to have more, look, look up more information on cold storage, you should definitely follow the, the GCCA, uh, global chain, uh, global cold chain Alliance. I think that, that is, that's a good resource and the, uh, IACSC. International Association for Cold Storage. Those are good resources for you guys. And again, if you wanna, if you have any questions or, or you know, maybe have any facilities that are cold in your market and you wanna reach out and maybe have any questions about it or thinking about selling it and see how much you can get for it, I'll be happy to kind of assist you with that and, and let you know what, what the, where the guidance is at on it. Definitely no, and and like 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 you've probably uh, seen uh, today, and you know George is an expert of what he does, and he does a phenomenal work. So I would definitely highly encourage you guys to reach out if you ever get an opportunity. So, again, thank you all so much for stopping by. We greatly appreciate you guys uh, being part of the group. We do have these bi-monthly virtually. Uh, so if you guys are interested in following along and, and and learning more about the different facets of commercial real estate, I encourage you guys to join the LinkedIn group and you know follow the events that we post on a regular basis so again thank you all so much for tuning in and we'll see you all next time thank you rafael man i appreciate it great to of be course on. yeah care, it was guys. great great meeting you man looking forward appreciate to keeping in touch yeah man absolutely take care